Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Welcome to Marion Church. Hope you're doing well today. Uh, my name is Isaac. I get to preach today. Uh, I always appreciate the opportunity to speak to you all. Um, it's truly humbling every single time. Uh, it gives Monty a break, so whether you love Monty or don't love, because there's no hate here, uh, it's, it's a different voice up here today, so it is me. Uh, this, uh, whenever you write a sermon or get the opportunity to, uh, particularly when it's different um, for teens than it is adults, is you get to go deeper. A lot of times with teens, you're just introducing concepts and introducing ideas, and not that it can't go deep, um, but with adults, I get to go a little bit more. And uh, this week was a good reminder um, to be deepening myself in Scripture, to be slowing down. Uh, a wiser man than me once said, as Christians in our American churches, we probably don't study our Bibles near enough. I find that true for myself. I can't tell you how many Bible studies I've been a part of that were book studies, and we didn't even read the Bible. Uh, they, were, they were a study of a book of some other author rather than the Bible. So I appreciate the opportunity to share. Uh, today we'll be going through Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 3 with you all, and we're going to be slideless. All right, so that's the slide that we'll be up there the whole time. So it is a participation sport, and you get to open your Bibles. I made sure there's at least one Bible in every row, uh, so you can steal from in front of you, behind you. And uh, as you are hunting down Hebrews 12, uh, I'm going to share a story with you. In spring of 2001, I had just completed my freshman year of Bible college. I had taken an introduction to New Testament uh, and an introduction to Old Testament, a ministry and evangelism class, beginning composition class, and a class on missions. And at the end of my spring semester, I landed a job working at Forest Lake Church as their youth director for the summer. I look back on that as a deeply unqualified individual to be working at a church after a freshman year of Bible college. First of all, I was two seconds older than many of the people that were there, um, and so I just didn't feel even qualified. But before I went up to Forest Lake, my parents and several others gathered for a bit of a send-off. In that opportunity of send-off, several people shared their words of inspiration for me, but the overall message for Ike was, it's time for the rubber to meet the road. It's time for you to do work, Ike. It's time for you, a guy we poured into, to start pouring into others. In the scripture we'll read today, I was reminded of that story in that time in my life. So let's read it together. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, starts out with... I still hear pages, so that's good. I was never a quick person to find it. And I got so mad when the guy up there would start, and I didn't even find it yet. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured on the cross, scorn, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of of the throne of God. Consider him 
who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This scripture starts out with a therefore. The author of Hebrews enjoys this word therefore. This is the 13th therefore in the book. And like all other therefores, it is referencing something that came previously. And as the saying goes, when you come across the therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what it is there for. So what came previously? Well, what did Monty preach about last week? And the previous ten weeks? The giants of the faith. The Josephs, the Jacobs, the Moses, the Noah, to name a few. So therefore, since you are surrounded by such giants of the faith, it's now your turn. But not as if these giants of the faith are done or no longer participating, but as the idea that now they are participating, or we are participating, the readers are participating with them. They are not spectators to be entertained. They are spectators to be participated with. The story I started out sharing about going to Forest Lake has another part to it. When I was officially hired to go to Forest Lake, when I was on the way up there, I found a note in my mailbox at college. And it was from Ruth Picker. And on the outside of it, it said, Dear Isaac, please deliver this to the elders of Forest Lake Church. Thanks, Ruth Picker. <laughs> Ruth Picker being one of my favorites, and one of my friends to this day was sending me with a letter. Now, if you know me, really know me, I'm not the busy type. Believe it or not, I did not open the letter. It was none of my business. It was to the elders of the, the church, not to me. And as I drove to Forest Lake that weekend, it was the first Sunday of the month, and on first Sundays of the month at Forest Lake was the, the, the monthly elders meeting. So that night, I handed the, the, meeting, or the letter to the elders, and they read it. And they asked me if they wanted me to tell them what was in it. Yes. The letter was short, and I don't remember it word for word, but I do remember it said this. Isaac has completed only a freshman year of Bible college. He's a good kid with good potential. Don't ruin him. <laughs> Ruth was not only a professor of mine and a friend of mine, she was invested in the kingdom. She was part of my great cloud of witnesses, not only a spectator, but a teacher and an encourager. She was an encourager of what I was doing, what I was participating in, and wanted me to help further the kingdom of God. When you're young, you look up to the giants of faith and just assume that they have all figured out. And you realize they're working on their faith too. They might be further along in the process, but they're still working at it. This became very apparent to me when the giants of, of my faith, my parents, my mentors, professors, and even elders at a church, asked me, what do you think we should do, Ike? You're asking me? Uh, why don't you ask yourself? Right? I'm deeply unqualified. Kids, if you're in this room and you're growing in the knowledge of Jesus and in your relationship with the Lord, a time will come when even your parents, kids, even your parents and your grandparents might even ask you for advice on things more than just electronics. <laughs> but to the Hebrews hearing, this, hearing these verses up to this point, they had to be feeling great. They've come from such a long lineage of great people, of great faith, and are probably have read the Old Testament. We know that even those stories of those of giants of faith have their faults. 
And the author is aware of this as well. And the warnings against their sin are in the verses coming up as well. I know that most likely none of us in this room are Jewish, or even those that are attending online are Jewish. But for some of those of the giants, uh, that's who this is alluding to. But for some of us in this room, our giants are maybe no longer with us. And if your giants are still with you, your faith giants, can you tell them thank you? This is not in the Scriptures. The Scripture is not even telling you to do this. This is totally from Ike. Tell your giants of faith thank you. At the very least, just a word that says thank you and that you appreciated them for being the example of faith. Let's keep reading. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The throwing off everything that hinders. The sin part is coming, but before it even talks about sin, it talks about things that are hindering. The Hebrews have a great history of sinning. But what do they need to set aside? There are two things in this verse that shed lights on hindrances. Now, all sin is a hindrance, but not everything that is a hindrance is a sin. I want to tell you that I struggle, one of my hindrances, my struggles, is saying yes. Hey, I do you want a yes. Hey, I need some help with yes. Hey, can you? Yes. And pretty soon I've said yes to way too many things. My friends that truly know me know this, is that I'm a yes guy. To the point where I think there's times where people have even not asked me because they know, I think, they know I'm going to say yes. And I've had to learn to say no to things, even good things to keep my focus on the things that were the things that were most important. But there are other things that are hindrances that I've had to lay aside, those distractions. For those of you that know me, yes, I am easily distracted. Shiny object syndrome gets the, gets the best of me sometimes. But this is also not me tuning my own horn. This is how man is working out his faith. I've had to limit my watching of shows, of television. It's not that I don't like TV. It's that I like it too much. To the point where there's this phrase now, binge-watching. I could be a binge-watcher. I was a binge-watcher before binge-watching was binge-watching. No, I don't want anybody to feel like they're being picked on. But at the end of the day, at the end of my life, I don't think I'll ever find myself saying, man, I wished I had watched more YouTube videos. I wished I had watched all the seasons of Breaking Bad twice. I wished I had scrolled TikTok longer. So I need to lay aside my phone, my screens, to make room for what's truly important, for the things I want to do, for the things I need to do. I want to read more. I'd like to learn how to play piano. I need to fix some things on my house 10 years ago. These are some things that hinder me and make me not so fruitful. So laying aside hindrances, I haven't forgot the sin part. But what are the things that we need to do to say no to that are, in, that are leading to hindrance? Next is that sin. And I actually don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time here because the scripture doesn't send, this scripture doesn't spend a whole lot of time here. But you all know your sins. You know your mess. I certainly know mine. But as, we reiterate, as I reiterate, the sin here is nothing to be flirted with. Sin doesn't need you to have a conversation with it. There are very strong words in our Bible about what to do when it comes to sin and temptation, and those are that we need to remember to flee. 
Get out of the way. Don't play with it. If this building was on fire and you sat here and you admired the fire and you watched it, we would say you're a fool. But you're like, look at how cool the smoke is. Look at how neat the flames are. What's wrong with you? Get out. We do this sometimes with sin. So how do we elude and avoid sin? The next verse is talk about it. By throwing off those hindrances of sin that so easily entangle. How? By running with perseverance the race marked out for us and fixing our eyes on Jesus. This word perseverance is an interesting word and not a bad one when translated from the Greek. But I wish sometimes the English had better words or more words. The word perseverance here has the idea of a cheerful or hopeful endurance. Cheerful or hopeful endurance is a bit different than the word persevere. There's a joy piece to it. So that means we're supposed to run this race with a cheerful endurance? Run this race that's set before us? This word race also has an interesting overtone to it. It comes from the word agon, or ag- where we get our word agony. So run the race. Run the race with a cheerful endurance. Run your agony with a cheerful endurance? That changes but at least for me. That might not sound like very much fun at all, and I don't want to tell any of you to call a bad situation good. And I'm not saying you can't cry or be upset, but what I am saying is that you need to mind and watch your attitude. Your attitude is controllable. You might need to pray and ask for a different attitude. But a lot of times your attitude is the difference maker. Kids, I want to say prepare yourself to be an adult. How you do this is how you respond to these types of phrases. Kids, it's time to pick up your toys. Kids, it's time to go. It's time to take a bath. It's time to eat supper. It's time to do your chores. At any point in any of those, if you were, oh, yep, that sounds pretty normal. But that's something you can control. And as you get a, become an adult, this is no different for us. It's late on a Monday morning. You're on your way to work. You're running behind. Oh, right? But oh, doesn't sound like cheerful perseverance, cheerful endurance. So change your default response. Find the joy. Look at it as opportunity. This is actually one of the things that drew me to my wife. Her cheery disposition amongst hardship. When I first met Terry, we were both teenagers. Uh, We had met each other through Northside Christian Church's youth group, and we had gone on a trip to Whitewater State Park. It was about this time of year. My brothers and I were into baseball, and we brought our baseball gloves, and we're playing catch, and my younger brother, Eric, played a prank on Terry, and he pretended that he missed one of my throws, and right behind him was the Whitewater River. And said, Terry, can you help me get this baseball? She said, sure. She took off her shoes and socks, and she started to wade in. And then he said, it's, it's deeper, it's further, it's that little white thing out there. And pretty soon, Terry is up to her neck, still all in her clothes, looking for a baseball that doesn't exist in the water. So I think Ter- Eric, my brother, took it too far. Okay, for once, for the record, Eric took it too far. But the whole time, he was holding the baseball. And she knew she had been duped. And as she came out, she did the right thing by calling him a jerk. But she smiled and was a good sport about it. Now, I had camped enough to know that if you start day one of camping soaking wet and half of your clothes that you probably bought are wet, that's not a good way to start camping. But she was still joyous. She was still happy. 
I was like, oh man, if he did that to me, I'd be raged out right now. But she was still happy. She was still enduring uh, her agony and happy about it almost. The second part about this is fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're going to do a bit of an exercise, and I've done something similar in a children's sermon. But I want to exercise your ability to fix your eyes. All right, so if you're in this room with us, when I say go, I want you to just look at the cross. No matter what I do down here, just keep looking at the cross. All right, if you're at home or wherever you're at watching online, uh, look at the top of your screen. All right, so you can still, you're in your peripheries are still what's going on on the screen. All right, ready, go. And it, and, it, and it shouldn't matter. You can still kind of see what I'm doing. But this fixing your eyes exercise, it's not that you can't see me. It's that you've chosen not to. It's not that you can't see the circus animal that's going on down here. It's that you've chosen not to. You're not departing or disconnecting from this world. You've just chosen a different focal point. All right, come back to me. And this is saying the true when we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's not that we've disconnected from the world around us. It's just that we've seen Jesus and we continue to focus on Jesus. This world is beautifully distracting and has a, a good time and an easy time at pulling us in. But when we keep focus on Jesus, this is like life realignment, uh, which is often things that we need in, in our lives. We can see it in the, for the need of people. Uh, and it, however, it might not change your hardship. It might not change your circumstances. But at least your focus will be in the right place. <coughs> Let's finish reading for the second time. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you might not grow weary and lose heart. As if we needed any more reason to focus on Jesus, it's because he is our pioneer and perfecter of faith. By saying that Jesus is the pioneer, it's like saying he's the author, the, the leader, the front runner. He's the first human also to see it through to completion. He's our perfect example of what human faithfulness looks like. So it shouldn't be surprising as we conclude today, as we conclude with talking about Jesus. The irony of what Jesus endured being killed for the very people he came to save is truly mind-blowing. But not just a quick kill. It's not like he was sniped or picked off. But it was an enduring, torturous death. And, and a death shameful as a criminal. Yet he found his resting place when it was all done at the right hand of God. He endured this terrible process. And the first uh, word in the sentence is he did it with joy. Although, again, this is not the particular focus of these scriptures, the fact that it's there is still mind-blowing enough. With joy. I have times in my life that I can do things dutifully, but I'm not sure if I do them with joy. I never rem remember when my kids were in diapers being happy or joyful as I changed a diaper. My wife, on the other hand, seemed to enjoy it, so I let her do it more than me. But we have these things in our life that we do dutifully. Do we do them with joy? 
in the verse, uh, in verse two, the scripture says to fix our eyes on Jesus, and in verse three, it says once again to get uh, fixed on Jesus. Consider the opposition Jesus faced and is facing against sinners. We people right now, uh, there's, there are people right now that believe that God doesn't even exist. A created person questioning if the creator even exists. I find that truly fascinating. But when we realize that that's what he has endured and still is enduring, uh, life more doable for us. So if Jesus can take this kind of beating, this kind of torture, this kind of death, what can we endure? Now, I know we just celebrated Easter, and I know that Easter means that Jesus rose again and we win and, and all that, but I still can't get over the fact that Good Friday still happened. And when you really think about that, nobody really likes to, but it still did happen. And I think for every single one of us, if we said, if I was Jesus and I had to go through Good Friday, even though I have the power to raise myself on Sunday, would I still want to do that? Would it still be worth it? I mean, Jesus said yes, he thought it was. But that bloodshed, the beating, the mockery, the betrayal, having nails literally driven and pierced through your skin, all this still having happened doesn't negate everything Jesus went on and has done for us. Yes, Easter's still there, but so is Good Friday. So these verses help us to get out of our own Bible. I'm sorry, out of our own bubble. And help us to get out of our why is me, or why me, and woe is me. And remember that Jesus was a human, and he endured the pain and the anguish and the shame. And when we consider the why, why would he do that? We're the why. We're the why behind the what. That should affect you. That should affect you. Lastly, when we consider all of this, it's to not grow weary and not lose heart. I'm 40 years old, and I have discovered in my young age that I wished I had more affirmations from God. I want a direct phone call. I want a conversation. I want to ask him more questions. But that's not really available to me. I am quick to grow weary. But the promises in Scripture are timeless. True as today as they were a hundred or a thousand years ago. I often tell my children I don't want to tell them things twice. Right? You ever do that as parents? I thought I told you this already. But every time I say that to my own kids, I'm reminded that God told me that already. And I want to hear it again. I want to be affirmed in it. But once should be good enough. Also, if you live long enough, you will know that your body will fail. It is just the way it goes. And working for a church, I have come alongside lots of people whose bodies are failing and have failed. And that's troublesome at times, but at the same time, many of you have encouraged me. When I've visited people in their hospital beds and other places, I come away many times being, asking myself the question, was I there for them or were they there for me? Recently, one participant whose body is failing is Valerie Godsey. Valerie, I didn't ask you if I could say your name, but I did it anyways. For those of you that know Valerie, she is a delight to be around. Monty and I got to bring her lunch, and Jim as well, recently. But amidst all of her ailments and the onsets of things that are going on, she's still delightful. She still makes jokes. She still has fun. She's still playful with Jim. And that's not to mention Jim, who's had a headache 
for the last five years, I think. And you guys would never know that. And so whenever I'm in the presence of a Jim and a Valerie, I'm just blessed. And I know that I can endure because I'm watching them endure. So thank you, Jim and Valerie, for your testimony, for being part of my great cloud of witnesses. I appreciate it much. And I appreciate many of you who have shown me what it's like to endure and being still that encouragement. And so I leave you with the verse, the second half of verse 3, ringing in your ears, that says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your Son. We're grateful for the example. We're grateful for the words. Help us to go to the Word first. For example, for encouragement. Help us to lean on others. Help us to understand your word and study it. And we thank you for it. I thank you for those that are placed in my life, that are persevering, that are cheerfully, hopefully, running their race of agony. It's amazing to see. And we can do it all because of the example of your son. So in the wake of Easter, we are thankful and grateful for that. But what Jesus did here on this earth was fascinating as well. And truly, have you have our attention. Help us to continue to be uh, reeled in, be roped in by your love, to be focused and fixing our eyes on you. Forgive us for when we get distracted and get entangled in the sin. To your name I pray. Amen.